It's our passage today, which will be from uh, Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 11. As we begin this series that uh, Chris has introduced and it's been uh, um, introduced uh, in the hot off the press and things, I've had a a couple folks uh, ask me, you know, why do we even need to do a series like this? Why do we even need to talk about the gospel in black and white? I thought I'd answer that best I could. One, for us at College Hill Presbyterian Church, if we are seriously trying to pursue a a jubilee community, a place where we experience real, authentic, open, honest relationships, where there's a, a real freedom in our relationships with each other, that each one of us who have been washed in the blood of Christ... Wanting to experience authentic relationships. If each of us who have been freed by the death of Jesus and the power of the cross, then we must address directly racism. We must pursue intentionally racial reconciliation. If what we are wanting to be is that jubilee community that includes all who have been washed in the blood of Christ. So one person that I gave that eloquent answer to said, "Um, that wasn't what I was asking. Why is it so important to you? And I thought about that a little bit. Recalling as a teenager, you know, as many of you know, I was born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama. And that is the buckle of the Bible Belt. And you're a Christian there unless you officially state you're something else. <laughs> Just the way that it is. At least uh, 44 years ago it was. And uh, so, yeah, I was part of church and was going and, you know, typical and a number of folks, uh, you know, you go into church and you just don't understand the language. And that's how I got involved in Young Life, So many of you have too. And there, you know, I, I heard the gospel in a language I could understand. And there were also some good looking girls there too. <laughs> and... um then, yeah, I started getting serious about this stuff. Uh, and that's about a junior year in high school, and I did something very dangerous. I just started reading the Bible. Really dangerous. It's a dangerous document. And, and as I started reading it, and then I go off to college, and I go off to college where there's a lot of people not from the Bible Belt, and so then becomes even more significant for me to say, wait a minute, I am a follower of Jesus and what does that mean? And I started reading the Bible even more. And as I was reading it, I just didn't get it. I didn't, just didn't connect with me. I mean, 
just could not grasp, I couldn't understand as I was reading the Bible and then looking at the church around me, I agreed with two significant men, Billy Graham and Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Because I wondered, why is the church segregated? Why was that the case? I just didn't get it. As I read the Bible, it seemed obviously clear that that was not the message of the Scriptures. And that began then a journey in the last 20 or so years of beginning to open my eyes to the point of fully agreeing with Dr. Billy Graham that racial division in the church is the greatest sin of the American church. You can go on his website. Google racism. That's what he says. I began to realize that we, the church of Jesus Christ in the United States, have passively accepted and allowed the racial division in our country to be continued, even perpetrated, in the church. Our passage today will show how this sin in our past continues to cloud the very power of the gospel. I think our passage today speaks to the way we as part of the Christian church who have passively allowed segregation to continue in the church have limited the very application of the blood of Jesus. It's mostly been in our passive acceptance of the cultural norms that we have denied the power of the cross. So that's why it's important to me and why I believe it's important for us. Before we read the passage, again, Ephesians 2, starting with verse 11, found on page 950 in your pew Bible. Let's, uh, let's pray. Gracious God, we do thank you for your written word that is dangerous, that leads us towards the fulfillment, towards receiving the fullness of your kingdom. And we ask that your, your spirit, as you cleanse us, as you purify us, you will indeed lead us to seek your face. As your word teaches us, what are your dreams? What are your purposes? What is your good and perfect will? Speak to us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Ephesians 2, starting at verse 11. So then, remember that at one time, you Gentiles by birth, called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands, 
Remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace. In His flesh, He has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that He might create in Himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So He came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through Him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus Himself as the cornerstone. In Him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together. Spiritually, into a dwelling place for God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you, if you have your Bibles open, keep, just keep them there. Because um, we'll walk through this uh, passage. And, and if you're a note taker, you like to take notes in a minute, I'll uh, give you uh, an assignment. The first two verses, verse 11 and 12, then present this these two groups of people. I mean, in, in Ephesus, in Paul's day, there were two basic groups of people. There were Gentiles and there were Jews. There was a, a huge division between the two, a clear demarcation between them. And there was a hatred between them. I mean, there was a division that was demonstrated even in the temple, even in the architecture of the church. The gathering place for God's people. There, there was a wall that separated the court of Gentiles from those that were Israelites. There was this separation that didn't allow for Jews and Gentiles to then interact. So when you, when you get a, a separation that occurs over time, it, it will lead to not knowing the other people, to developing new habits, different structures, different ways of living. And then when you have that separation, you don't know one another, that leads to fear, and then fear leads to hatred. And that was what was existing between the Jews and Gentiles, the division between people in Jesus' day, in Paul's day. It was so great that there were even found writings of Jews calling for Gentiles, or, or calling for Jews not to participate in the delivery of a baby 
who was Gentile. Because in so doing, they would be abetting another heathen into the world. Now, granted, that wasn't maybe a majority position, but it was important, significant enough to have survived 2,000 years So Paul, in the midst of that kind of hatred and division, is now speaking the essence of the gospel into that context. He applies the gospel, starting with verse 13. He he applies that, that good news to this kind of situation. It informs us all that happened at the cross wants to inform us what the the death of Jesus has accomplished. That His blood has created a new race. His blood has created a new people. Given a new citizenship. And given birth to a new family. So what I want us to do is look at these next six verses or so. And again, if you like taking notes, put in one column, you know, by whom or how. And then another column, we're going to put what. What is accomplished. As we walk through here, Paul will go over and over again, telling us what is accomplished and how it's accomplished, by whom. We'll start with verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So, first, in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, this is happening. And it's by the blood of Christ that something is accomplished. That's the other column. What's accomplished is those that were far off were brought near. For He is our peace. In His flesh. It's another by whom, it's another how. In His flesh this is accomplished. He has made, now, so this is what's accomplished. He has made both groups into one. His blood, his flesh, has made both groups into one and broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. So he accomplished destroying the walls that were between these groups of people. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances. Another thing that he accomplished. That he might create in himself. Again, in himself, so by whom, that's how it happens. This is what he creates. One new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace. And might reconcile both groups to God in one body 
through the cross. Thus putting to death that hostility through it. So in himself he creates, he he does this through the cross he does this. He reconciles both groups to God as one body. Verse 17, so he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, and that's the how, by whom, through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. Both those dividing, both those groups now have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, because of all this has been accomplished, this unity in the blood of Jesus through His body, sacrificed on the cross, that unity is now made. The walls of division between people and between people and God have been destroyed. So then, now, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God. He creates a new country. He creates a new nation that now has a united citizenship through His blood. He creates a new family who are now brothers and sisters through His work on the cross. At the cross, where God the Son was crucified, He accomplished a one humanity in Him. It was seen clearly even in the early centuries. Clement of Alexandria was one of the first early Christian writers To read this passage and say, we are now a third race. There are the Jews, there are the Gentiles. We are now in Jesus, a common race. A new race in Him. The cross has brought down the walls between us and with God. If you can visualize this this picture, there are some that he says are near to the cross. They're near to God. Those are the Jews. There are the the Gentiles. Those that he says they're those that are far away from God. And at the cross, what he says, those that are far away and those that are near now become one in him. The cross not only destroys the wall that's between me and God, an individual and God, but the cross also destroys, if you can imagine, you know those cardboard red and white blocks that look like bricks? I loved playing with those as a kid. If I still had them, I'd bring them up here and then just destroy them. Knock them down. You guys don't look like you played with those. It's too bad. <laughs> Had a stunted childhood. 
But if those walls were here, it would be as if each one of us, rather you were in the near group or the far group, had a huge wall between us and God and also had walls between us and other people. The cross, like a huge wrecking ball, in one fell swoop, knocks all the walls down. Not just the walls between me and God and you and God. There is no cross that just takes care of one of the walls and leaves the others up. In one fell swoop, the wrecking ball of the cross has abolished and destroyed all the walls that we can build up with God and with one another. That, too, is what is accomplished at the cross. That is the whole gospel according to this dangerous document that we call the written word of God. So one of the reasons then for pursuing this series has been to ask the why question. So why, still asking the question I was asking the first time I read through the Bible, why is 11 o'clock such a segregated hour? And how have we as the church throughout our history passively succumbed to the social constructs of our culture and accepted this division, this sin of division, thereby denying the very power of the cross in our relationships with one another. So I want to be clear that this series is not about political correctness. This series is not about just celebrating diversity. As much fun as that might be. At least I enjoy it. And it's also not about church survival or church growth. Could be that a thought is, you know, our neighborhood has a lot more black people. So if we're going to survive as a church, we need to learn how to welcome black people. Yeah, I'm fine that that might be a motive. I think God uses all of our motives, whether pure or impure, to do what He wants. But that's not why we're into this series. It's not why this is before us. It's before us because it's a crucial issue that involves us faithfully living out the power of Jesus' blood in our lives. That the cross as a wrecking ball has destroyed all those walls and made us one in Him. And we are ready to walk across the rubble of the walls that have been torn down by Him. That's why we explore this. If we are are serious about following Jesus, about living out the biblical gospel, then we must be intentional and direct and clear about becoming one in Christ. However, in any area, as in any area of our life, personally, 
applying the gospel may take a lifetime. Or it will take a lifetime. I mean, this is just as true in our own personal battles with sin. Whether they be um, sins of jealousy, sins of hatred, sins of lust, sins of greed. It takes a lifetime. To oppose the power of sin in our lives. And we work. We're we're intentional. We're direct. We put ourselves in places so that we don't live according to the sinful nature within us. Regardless of what it is. We gather people around us to help us do that. That's why we gather and read the word and pray. We, We take action. Intentional direct action. To oppose the sin in our lives personally. And the same must be true for us socially. For us corporately as a people. And when it comes to the divisions that we create among ourselves or that have been created, of which we're a victim, even. We cannot even passively accept them. We must oppose them in the power of the blood of Jesus. And I know as we face this, this issue of the gospel in black and white, of the racial differences that have been created among us. That there may not be a single one of us here who's actively racist or actively a separatist. Man, I, I haven't burned a cross in my yard or worn a white hood. But as one of the people who are instrumental in this journey with me, shared with me one time. His name is uh, Spencer Perkins. Some of you may have heard him. He's deceased now. But he integrated the schools, the high school, in Jackson County, Mississippi. And he said, you know, I wasn't so concerned with the 10% of the people that wrote nasty words on my locker They called me names to my face, that that spit on me, that grabbed my books as I was walking down the hall and just threw them on the floor. I wasn't so concerned with the 10% as I was with the 90% who did nothing. Whom he called passive racist. What I'm convinced of is that we are ready to take at least the next step across the rubble. We recognize the theological truth. I mean, you can't even argue with it. I mean, it's just right there. And it's everywhere. It's in the whole story. It's the whole story of the book in Acts. The story of the church. We know it's the way that it ends. We know it's the way of heaven because we know in Revelation that people from every nation, tribe, and tongue will be united as one at the throne of the Lamb. So we know and we pray that that would be true on earth as it is in heaven. So so we know that that's before us. and, And what we recognize is that there's a lot of rubble. And we're ready to walk across the rubble so that we can continue to experience the unity 
that Jesus prayed for us, as Chris read earlier. So, what, what do we do then? Well, one of the things we do is we first got to at least name it. We got to at least start asking the question. What is this? Why is this here? How is this here? And how do we walk across the rubble? So we have a, a video here where a few of you agreed to answer that question, for which I'm very thankful. Um, just to begin to share your story about racism, your experience, and your experience here. Could you just talk a little bit about what brought you here and why, why you're here? The main reason I came was because of convenience, because of the vicinity of the church to Finneytown, and wanting to have a diverse type of congregation for for Joshua, my son. I heard for the first time I heard Jerry Kirk uh, preach, and he was doing some like some small groups, and I thought this man is good. And uh, I said, oh, I think I'll go to the church. <laughs> this is a hard question, but sure. I want to know how much you have had to struggle with racism. Uh, I think the, probably one of the most uh, uh, vivid things that happened uh, to, to us was that uh, during the time of Jerry Kirk was here. And uh, Jerry, you know how we used to say hold hands, and we would be standing there, we'd be in the chapel or in the sanctuary, and the person next door to us, next to us would fold their arms, they would not give their hand, you know, and, uh, you know, and I just had to be really, I had to pray a lot about it, you know, just to really see, you know, is this what God wants us, you know? Actually, no, nothing, none at all. Um, the kids, like I said, they were very embracing, you know, like, they didn't like, oh, he's whacked something wrong with him and no they, they totally accepted me for who I was people are struggling with it you know it's if you are in a white environment and that is not a part of your natural life and people unlikely begin to invade your space um, you have you know you you are surprised and then you, you you really do look at the differences okay at the beginning it was sort of difficult you know for me being an african-american man and it was uh, wasn't welcome, you know, I spoke to people and some people just turned away. But when you look four years ago to now, you know, if I would have just, just followed my flesh, I wouldn't be in a position now to be elect deacon. It depends on how you define racism. Um, I don't think I've really experienced anyone having really animosity towards me because of the color of my skin. But I think people, there's a lot of people just don't understand their, they, a lot of people haven't had a lot of contact with African American people. A lot of African American people haven't had a lot of contact, so to speak, with uh, white people um, on a social or, you know, really intermingling on a social basis. So what do you think our church needs to do next to grow in this area? Ask some difficult questions. And, you know, I think about what the Bible says, you know, that we should confess our sins to one another that we may be healed. And I think it begins with confession and talking and being able to say, well, I had this experience, so no, I'm not comfortable with black people. Or I had this experience, so I'm, no, I'm not comfortable with white people. And I think that's the beginning of a healing within the body of Christ.
I think being welcoming is uh, not so much about greeting with a handshake at the door, although that's part of it. Um, I think it's more about developing relationships, and I believe that we're headed in the right direction as I see more and more examples of that, um, where relationships are being developed across racial, bo- racial bounds based on involvement in ministry. There's no perfect church, whether it's black or whether it's white. What we need to do is look at ourselves and see what we can do you know, to help mind how God can use me or us to help this church see that there, there's no difference besides the color of skin. It's not about learning how to do things differently, learning how to say the right things at the right time, do the right things at the right time. But I believe it's a heart issue. And there's only one who can change a heart, and I believe that's Jesus Christ. Um, and so I, I truly believe that the only way that this can happen is for us to be a people who are truly, totally surrendered to God so that God can work through us, change our hearts, and allow us to be the community of people he wants us to be. First, I want to thank all the folks that uh, were willing to be uh, filmed and answer those uh, questions um, and then for the film to be shown. I know, yeah. No, that takes um, a lot of courage um, and trust for which I'm thankful. And, And I think even the video itself is a sign of hope of just what God has been doing here for a long time and and developing and and bringing to the point where we are today. That folks can, that there can even be some say, well, you know, now that you ask, like Chris, ah, hadn't been my experience. And for others to be able to say, well, yeah, there were times in worship that somebody wouldn't even hold my hand. We need to hear the fullness of those stories and begin to expand our understanding of being one in Christ. Part of then having three weeks where we... we Worship with other churches that are primarily African American, or we have an African American uh, preach, is in order to hear some of those stories, to hear from those perspectives. For yes, there is one gospel, but there's a gospel with many facets, and none of us see it completely. And if we see it from different places, then it looks different, even though it's the same. And so part of hearing those stories is part of gathering that greater perspective. Because just like with the Jews and Gentiles, you know, that separation that we as a country have experienced for the last 250 years, largely, that separation breeds differences. They're neither bad nor good, they're just different. But then those differences among us then breed fear. And then that, that, those differences, that separation, that fear, differences make it difficult to then walk across the rubble and to come back together. Maybe you've seen it or experienced it with couples. 
You know, where one spouse is, uh, they've been married for a while, they have kids. You know, one spouse is married to the job and the other spouse is married to the kids. And that's where they spend their lives. And then after about 20 some odd years, you know, when the last kid goes off to college, even though they've been eating out of the same refrigerator and sleeping in the same bed, they pop up and look at each other one morning and say, Who are you? And disaster can strike that it leads to total division, separation. Or they say, okay, we got some work to do. We got some work to do of getting to know each other again. We got some work to do of falling in love with each other again in order to fulfill who we are in Christ together. Intentional effort, listening. Developing a a humble spirit, honest words, acts of love, and an atmosphere of grace. And an utter reliance, as Chris said at the end, on the power of the gospel to complete, to enact what was accomplished by the blood of Jesus at the cross. Where the walls... All of them were torn down by Jesus. Making all Christians a new race. It's absolutely necessary then for us to walk across the rubble so that we experience that unity for the whole world to see And to enable us to be the place where God dwells. Did you catch that at the end of the verse? The end of the passage? The last two verses. In Him. In Christ. See, it is in Him. He is the foundation. He is what the whole community is about. It is in Him. The whole structure is joined together. And grows into a holy temple. In the Lord. In whom. In whom you. That's one of those plural you's. In whom y'all. Also. Are built together. Spiritually. Into a dwelling place. For God. I know. That that's what you want us to be. You want to be a part of a place that fulfills what was accomplished at the cross so that we might truly be that dwelling place for God. What the temple was in the Old Testament, the place where God dwelled, Paul makes the temple not a building but a people. As we walk across the rubble, Jesus, in the power of His Spirit, makes us into something new. He makes us into a dwelling place where God dwells, where those who don't know Him can experience Him, can see Him, connect with Him, and turn and follow Him. power of the gospel has destroyed the walls and now we're on a journey 
of walking across the rubble and being built into something new. I do invite you these next four weeks, stuff in hot off the press and cards that have been given away, postcards with information on it about a number of different options for us to participate. Remind you, this is a really hard thing, but let me remind you, especially this bunch, it's hard to get here at 10.45. The next week we meet at 10. And as I've mentioned, uh, this, and this uh, next Sunday it's with um, uh, Winton Hills Church, which is a church who's asked if we would consider merging with them. And just to, you know, the idea of doing this series is about a year old that we first started talking about it. And it's probably about six months ago that I talked to Chip and said, hey, how about you come doing the first one? And what I had envisioned was that we would be, you know, pulpit swapping. Maybe they were wiser than me and they said, no, I don't want you to come to my pulpit. Tell you what, (laughs) I'll come preach and I'll just bring my folks with me. And then that was about six months ago. And then it was about three months ago that Chip said, you know, let's consider murder. We want to place that before you as a church. So, um... Anyway, that's, so in a way, this year, uh, Sunday will be our first date with Winton Hills. And we'll worship together, then we'll eat together, and it's potlucks and your uh, stuff in the hot off the press as to what everybody can bring and that, that kind of stuff. But the worship service will start at 10, okay? Or should I tell y'all 945? And then there's a, a number of, of class. If you want to go, uh, we're calling deep and wide. If you want to go deeper, if you want to get a little broader in the discussion and opportunity, then Wednesdays and Friday nights, basically the same class. We just wanted to provide ample opportunity for folks to develop. And I have to apologize to a couple of you because when we first started, we were hoping to start this week, and details didn't work for that to happen. And so some of you showed up, um, and I apologize. Uh, for that, but we will be here in uh, um, Wednesday and Friday, two weeks. Uh, we start January the twenty eighth. Again, that information is in uh, hot off the press. And one other thing, there's one other issue. When you start walking across the rubble, things just don't work like you planned. We were supposed to meet February first with House of Joy with uh, Bishop Todd O'Neill, and we're going to worship here, first service, and worship over there, second service. Well, you know, the bishop's got an international ministry. He's going to be out of the country now that, uh, that Sunday, so it just won't quite work. So we've uh, arranged for Sherman Bradley, who many of you know, to preach that particular Sunday. But again, those corrections are in your hot off the press. And these and others are, are oppor- as well as a, you know, there's a Sunday school class that's going on now at 9 o'clock that's addressing these same things. So there's a number of other items. And, and you know, it's, it is sort of a hot topic. Um, it's uh, the, the library. Their, their book that they're encouraging everyone to read is about racial reconciliation or a particular relationship. The Museum Center now has a, um, a whole uh, a visiting exhibit about race. So there's a number of ways for us, the Museum Center, yeah. And there's also the Freedom Center. But the Museum Center has one exhibit specifically about race that just started. Right. There's also, yeah, the Freedom Center. So there's ample opportunities for us to learn to listen. For us to listen. 
for us to walk across the rubble together so that God can make us into something new for His dwelling.